So you don't have to respond out loud, but I want you to just think. When you're in a situation and something has clearly gone wrong or not happened the way it's supposed to, or there may be somebody at fault, how do you normally immediately naturally respond? Maybe not even out loud, but at least in your head. I'm gonna tell you what I usually do. Immediately, I start thinking of reasons why I'm not the one in trouble, <laughs> right? Like this happened, like immediately my brain is like, okay, like how do I explain that I'm not the one at fault? And I don't know if that happens, maybe that doesn't happen to you as much, maybe, it, I don't know. I'm just sharing, like my brain just naturally, like, like it's coming up ways that I can justify myself. But what I find is when we do that, often not only we, we just we're tr- take into our own hands trying to justify ourselves, but the result often is then part of how we point away from us is by pointing at other people. Like, okay, it was their fault. They did this or that person did that. And we kind of just point right there. And, and part of the reason why we do this is because this is what humanity has been doing for a long time immediately when sin came into this world, when Adam and Eve turned away from God, if you look at the exchange between God and Adam and Eve, it's a total finger pointing fest. Like God comes to Adam and Adam's like, or God's like, you know, God, did you, or Adam, did you eat from the, the, the tree? And Adam's response is to point fingers both at God and Eve. He's like, this woman, this one here, who you put with me, like, God, you should have known, she's trouble, right? <laughs> this woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then, then, then Eve, and then she's pointing at the serpent. And it's just, this is what people do. Ever since sin came into this world, immediately when there's an, an issue, kind of our natural reaction is we got to point away from ourselves to other people. Which is why our lesson today, our lesson from the lesser known, is it's just very counter how we naturally respond in those situations. As we take this next step in this, this series where we are looking at these people that we don't normally stop and think about or sections we, we a lot of times just kind of blow right past, we're going to see a lesson today that shows us that we don't have to respond in that finger-pointing way. Now, we're not trapped by that way of responding to situations. There's actually a better way. We actually are free to live in a better way. We have the ability to respond in a more powerful way. We can take hold of our response ability. And the lesson to show us that is 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 23 to 27. It begins, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Now, with this lesson, we get, we're picking up here in the midst of the, the lifetime of David. And uh, David's life may be somewhat familiar to you, partly because just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a lesson from, from David's life, but also because so much of David's life is just really, it's the popular stuff in Scripture. You think of David, you think of him as being the one who got anointed as a young boy through the, through the prophet, that he's going to be the next king of Israel. And, and, and in talking about David, it's when God had those, those powerful words that he spoke to the prophets saying, don't look at his outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. You know, that's, that's David. That's David. 
That's who we're thinking about here. And David is that, that shepherd boy who, who plays the harp for, uh, for the king, for King Saul, who ends up writing all these psalms. And he's well known in that way. And of course, he's well known for being the young boy who right, defeats Goliath with those stones and just his slingshot. But as David became so popular, it actually fed into a part of his life that we don't talk about quite as much. Because when David was so popular and people were cheering for him so much, they were cheering for him more than they were cheering for King Saul. And so King Saul got extremely jealous of David, so much so that he tried a number of times to try to kill him. And so David had to flee and run and hide for his life. And he spent a lot of time in hiding. That's where a lot of the Psalms come from. Just a little sidebar thing is a lot of our greatest things we actually end up putting out that are most helpful for other Christians come from seasons where we ourselves are struggling a lot. And that is certainly the case with David. David spent a lot of his life out hiding. And our lesson is actually from that season of David's life. Now, even though David was out hiding and running from Saul, he wasn't alone. He had men with him. And he wasn't just hiding out in caves. Wherever they went, they were making an impact, sometimes fighting against the enemies, the enemies of God's people, <coughs> excuse me, but also sometimes defending some of the people who were there in that area. And their defense of people in the area is actually kind of what leads to our, our sermon lesson today. They had been protecting some shepherds, some goods for a man named Nabal. And so when it came time for there to be a feast day, when David heard that it was time for him to really take, take hold of the things that the blessings um, from the, his, his harvest, from his flocks, David sent men to him thinking, okay, well, we protected this man. We helped him out. Now he's reaping the benefits of how we helped him. Now we should also get to share in those blessings. We should get to share in those benefits. So he sends some men to this man named Nabal. But when they get there, Nabal just totally smarts off. Well, who is this David? Who is this guy? Even though David's reputation was all over the place. Who is he? And he talks about him as someone who just breaks away from his master. Just a total insult to David. And as a response, David is furious. And he tells his men, put on your swords. In other words, they're getting ready to go and to just kill Nabal and all his men. And you look at it and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe your first thought is, that seems a bit, a bit intense, David. And, and it is. Don't want to downplay it. It is a bit over the top. And at the same time, just so you can kind of better understand why he's so angry, because there is a bit something going on here culturally that is, that is more than maybe we even normally think about is in that culture, there was this honor-shame aspect of culture that was really significant. Like your honor as a person and as a people always needed to be defended. That, that's the way people thought. It's part of why, uh, why you even had the situation with David and Goliath. Because I'd, I'd wondered, before I learned about honor-shame culture, I'd actually wondered, you know, when she, Goliath challenges God's people and says, all right, you send one of your, your people out and we're going we're gonna to battle. I'd wondered, like, why did Israel play by Goliath's rules? Couldn't they have just said, No. We're going to fight this the normal way. We don't have to do your stupid game. Like they could have, right? But not in honor-shame culture. In honor-shame culture, when somebody puts a challenge, you can't just dismiss it. It would be very dishonor dishonorable to you and your whole group of people. There's this really big weight on honor and shame. 
And so here we have David's honor has been disgraced by this man, Nabal. So again, not saying that his response isn't intense. It's definitely intense and maybe even a bit over the top, but you can kind of get what's going on with David here. He has just been dishonored by this man, Nabal. And so he tells his people to go and they're going to go and they're going to kill him. And it's as they are heading to go and to wipe out Nabal and his people that, that we really get to that immediate, that immediate setting for a lesson. Because as David and his men are coming, we have one of the servants in Nabal shares this info with David's wife, Abigail. And we see Abigail take hold of her responsibility. In our lesson, we're told that when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Now it's interesting. She doesn't just go and say like, please don't, please don't hurt us. Please don't hurt, hurt my husband or anything like that. She actually goes and just takes the blame and says, all right, there's blame here. It's on me. I am the person to blame. This is such a, it's a strange thing when you think about it at first. Like, this is very counter what we do, right? Usually we point right away. Like, she might come out and, like, you might expect her to go out and say, man, my husband is, is, a, is a fool. Take him out, but could you keep me safe? I didn't know about it. It wasn't my fault. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know this was happening. She, she doesn't do that at all. She does the exact opposite. She says, put the blame, the blame on me. As we see her shifting the way we typically do things, this is what we're going to see in this responsibility, that, that we can kind of flip the way we approach situations where something has gone wrong and where blame tends to go around. We see in our lesson that she goes and she says, May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name is, fool. Here's just an interesting tidbit. The, the reason why they had the word fool capitalized, so the word fool is, is Nabal. His name literally means fool. Like, I'm not sure why his parents decided to name him Fool. I'm not sure. That would be a strange thing. Um, (laughs) I can't imagine naming a baby Fool, but I don't know. It's what what we have here. And uh, so Folly goes along with him. He's like, basically, this is his name. It fits. It's a fitting name for this guy. So she's like, okay, this guy, Nabal, he's a Fool. I did not see I did not see the men my master sent. She recognized it. She's like, okay, I, David, I see how you're thinking about this, but stop thinking this way. Stop thinking that, okay, it's just all Nabal's fault. Think, Nabal, Nabal, he's just a fool. The real issue is that I didn't see your men coming. It makes me think of, and this is a very lighthearted example, but what you're looking at here on the right of your screen is an empty donut box that was on my, my kitchen island a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago because I had to prep this before I went to camp, so that's why this is a couple week old story. But uh, there's just kind of this funny thing. I, I, I got a box of donuts and brought home for, for the fam. And because, right, if you want to get to Ruthie's heart, my daughter's heart right now, give her a donut. Like, there's just like, Ruthie is to donuts as I am to tacos. We're just, we're just matched. She just, everywhere we go, donuts. Anyway. So there was one donut left in the box, and uh, I told Ruthie, you should go, go, you can go have the last donut. Well, then later, Stella, my wife, goes up to the, goes to the box, she sees it there, she's thinking there's donuts left, opens them up, empty box, right? Ah, crushed, yeah? So she says to me, she's like, somebody left the empty box of donuts on the island. And the initial response, well, Ruthie did, because she did, and that would have been true. 
Um, <laughs> but I also then kind of started realizing, like, yeah, but I'm the one who told her to go eat the last donut. I should have known that she is, you know, six, almost seven, and probably is not going to throw the box away. And I could have, maybe even should have said, sweetie, once you grab the donut, throw it away, please. Throw the box, not the donut, throw the box away. You know, and I came into the kitchen afterwards knowing she had eaten it. I knew the box was empty. I probably should have thrown it away. You know, there's one way you can look at it and go, well, yes, she should have thrown it away because that's her responsibility. But also knowing, knowing who she is, knowing she's younger, knowing she's probably not even thinking about it, I could have and maybe even should have done something. How many times is that the case when it comes to, to when there's fault or there's an issue? And, and it's not to lessen that maybe somebody else had some responsibility. Like maybe, yeah, they could have done that. They should have done that. But if we stop and think about it, we can also recognize, well, yeah, but, you know, I could have done this or said this. Or maybe especially knowing who they are, knowing kind of their tendencies, I especially then could have been, I could have maybe prevented this or done something better. We can see there's a flip here in Abigail's thinking, a flip that is very, very different from what we normally do. Our natural reaction is, okay, when there's blame to go around, we join and say, yeah, look at that person did it. <laughs> but doing that is not so smart. If I would have been like, yeah, Stella, Ruthie, she, did, she took the donut and she didn't throw that box away. Can you believe her? That would have been a really bad dad move of me right? But how many times in other places in life do we do the same kind of thing? We're like, there really is something I could have said or could have done, but the reality is we just join in like, yeah, can you believe they did that? You know? And, and, and when, we, when we join in and we start finger pointing and we just really start shifting the blame, we lose sight of our responsibility that there maybe, maybe was something we could have done. And maybe next time around there's something we could do better. We when we join in the finger pointing, we overlook the ability we have to respond better. And when we respond better, it's amazing the impact it can have. It's amazing what we lose out on when we, we don't see our responsibility. Notice what Abigail goes on to say to, to David. She says, now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. Just go ahead and just, just pause there. Her taking responsibility here actually doesn't just kind of steer things away from Nabal and his family. It actually is beneficial to David. By stepping in this way, she helps David not shed blood, not have that on his conscience, which in a general sense, you can see, yeah, it's good for someone not to kill people. Yeah, that makes sense. But in this section of Samuel, we can see actually this is a very big deal in David's life and who he is in his character and how God is shaping David. There's a repeated theme in this section of Samuel. Uh, when you look at the whole story of David and Saul chasing after him, this story is sandwiched between two stories of where God gives David like an ultimate opportunity to kill Saul. He could, like where, where he's in a cave, uh, it's kind of funny, like Saul's in there, he's just like going to the bathroom and David's back there in the shadows and could just, he could end it. Then Saul wouldn't be chasing after him. You know, David wouldn't have to fear for his life. And David is like, nope, can't do it. I'm not going to take this into my own hands because this is the Lord's anointed. He says, I'm going to wait for God to bring me into this role of being a king. And right after this story of 
Abigail and Nabal and David, a similar sort of thing happens where again, God, like David's in a situation where he could have taken out Saul. And instead of taking it into his own hands, he says, no, I'm going to let God do it. And in the middle here, we have this story with Abigail, where Abigail helps David do what he is apparently wanting to do in both of those events with Saul. David has been wanting to not take it into his own hands, but let the Lord figure it out. And by Abigail speaking up, she prevents David here from trying to take vengeance into his own hands and just lets the Lord figure it out. And interestingly enough, there is justice in a way. Um, after this all happens, Abigail tells Nabal, um, and he actually, like it says, like his heart like turned to stone, and then with days later, he dies. And then David is so impressed with Abigail, he actually sends messengers and says, hey, want to become my wife? And she does. She becomes a wife of David. Kind of a crazy turning of events here. Um, <laughs> not only does, there's, does Nabal die, but David gets a wife out of the deal. What do you know? I mean, it's just amazing how the Bible works when he just let it go in the Lord's hands. And she, by stepping up, helped that, made that happen. By taking that response, she had the ability to respond in a better way, which actually was not just good for her, but also for David. Which again, makes you think about the ways that we tend to respond opposite. When we tend to point fingers and join in, in, in the finger pointing, what happens is, instead of helping people, don't we often, you ever get people more like, built up in their anger. Like if you ever have a conversation where somebody's really upset about something and then somebody in the group just says like, oh yeah, can you believe this? And it just like, it's like putting logs in a fire, right? And then what ends up happening, even though it maybe feels good in the conversation, what ends up happening is that somebody then feels something or says something afterwards that is actually even more harmful than should. Like there maybe there is, maybe they had a just reason to be upset, but because in that conversation, you, we ramped each other up. We end up saying something stupid that we regret. Our tendency to point fingers does really off, uh, the opposite of what Abigail does. And our tendency to point fingers is part of why it's another example of how we naturally are sinful people who don't deserve to be in the presence of God because we are people who naturally cause hurt and pain in relationships rather than live God's way. We naturally don't follow the, the Abigail path or the David path here. As we think about that, I think of this and I'm like, man, I need, I need an Abigail for me. Not, not someone to be, do like David's thing and take care of my wife. I have a wonderful wife. But I need someone to take the blame and the guilt for me. And then the beautiful thing of all scripture is, remember while at first and foremost, like we have these first stories of characters in scripture and we see initially how it fits in that story. All of scripture, what is Jesus says, it all points to him. And Jesus fulfills all the stories of scripture. And we see Abigail here being a little example, a little pointer to Christ. Because when Jesus, and we had this in our gospel lesson, Jesus is on the cross and there's people that are crucifying him Right? There's people who are auctioning off his clothes, or not auctioning, gambling, whatever. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he could have just said, like, God, Father, can you believe what they're doing? Like, send these guys to hell. They deserve it. And he, and he doesn't. He's just, Father, forgive these guys. Forgive them. And it's the same thing he says about you and me. 
All those times that we miss our responsibility, all those times that we, we contribute to, to making it worse instead of making it better, God says, you know what, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they, they sin. They mess up. Father, forgive them. And then he laid down his life and he died to pay the price for every single way you and I have ever sinned and ever, ever sinned against God and ever hurt those around us. Jesus has paid for it. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And instead of saying, look it, I'm in the right, they're in the wrong, instead of trying to, to take vengeance on them or anything like that, by Jesus allowing his Father to do his thing, Jesus not only died for our sins, but he was raised again back from the dead for our justification. Jesus, when he was raised back from the dead, showed that, yes, he was in the right. He was doing the right thing. And not only is he raised to show he's in the right, but Jesus, when he rose back from the dead, raised to set, was raised to set us right. See, here's the amazing kind of flip thing that happens because of what Jesus did by, by, by taking responsibility for our sins. Is you can know, like right now, like we, often we're so, conf- con- con- so focused on, Okay, I got to show that I'm not in the wrong, that I'm in the right. But here's the beautiful thing is before God, you're already in the right. And there's going to be a day where you stand with Jesus and you're going to be on the side that is right. And that's the opinion that really matters. People around you might think you're in the wrong. Let them. God knows he set you in the right. Someone might blame you, might put whatever. So? God knows he set you and they're right. When it comes down to the end of the day, okay, this is between me and God, and, and where you've done right, God knows this, and where you've done wrong, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Either way, at the end of the day, through faith in Christ, you're in the right. And so you don't have to be focused on trying to show you're right right now. Instead, you can take hold of your responsibility. You can embrace that you might have the ability to step in, and instead of pointing fingers, rather think, okay, is there something I could have done or I could do here to help this be better? Like when, when you're freed from having to prove that you're in the right all the time, you can help other people, and you can help set things right. That doesn't mean that you just like pretend, like it doesn't mean that you cover for people, you know, like if somebody commits a crime and you, you pretend that they didn't. No, like there's, there's, there's still... There's crimes, there's things like that. And remember, Abigail does call Nabal fool. Like, she's pretty straight up. Like, no, he messed up. But is there a way that we can help? And please keep in mind that you can't control the actions of other people. And so you also can't beat up yourself as somebody you know who goes off the wrong, wrong way. Rather than thinking about it as like, okay, I got to control and, and, and rescue all the people around me. Flip it this way, where maybe you're just simply trying to live out the repeated theme we see in this section of Samuel. Where instead of being focused on trying to set yourself right or move your life along, what you're doing is simply trusting God. Trusting Him to show you right. Trusting God to set you right. Trusting God to work it all out. Where you're willing to put your life out there and willing to try to help others and really to step forward into whatever God has in front of you knowing that ultimately Jesus has said, Father, forgive them, and in God's eyes, you're justified, you're right. Maybe you can just look at your relationships and just know 
that if God sees you as right, and if your eternity means that you're right with God, then you don't have to be caught up in proving that you're right now. But you can actually have the ability to say, okay, how can I help the people around me instead of point at the people around me? How can I step in and and support those around me and see what God does with it? Because after all, I'm already right in his eyes. I don't need to prove it. Instead, I can just take hold of my response ability.